everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Church Online. We're in the final installment of a series we've titled Building a Bigger Table. And really, it's more than a series. We've talked about this all month long. This is really a covenant that we're entering in together to build a bigger table. What does that look like? We're building a bigger table because it makes more room for people, more room for possibilities, for purpose, and ultimately, we're making more room for people to experience the power and presence of God in their lives across Shelby County. We're building this bigger table, and what that looks like is right now, currently, we're in the process of expanding our Alabaster campus. When that's done, when that's completed, we're going to move into Columbiana. We're going to expand and build in Columbiana and make more room for more people in Columbiana. We're going to expand our staff over the next three years. And that goal we're, we're, we're raising over the next three years, $700,000 to accomplish this. And, and the goal is so that more people can know who Jesus is and the power of his resurrection. Here's what God commands us to do as believers. It's our theme verse, Luke chapter 14, verse 23. It says, So his master said, Go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house can be full. Old King James says, Go into the highways and the byways and compel them to come. Compel them. We'll do anything short of sin as a church to reach people with the power of Jesus Christ because we believe this. We believe eternity matters, that it's real. There's a heaven and there's a hell. And what we see here, this life that we see, this world that we see, it is temporal. It's not going to last forever. So here and now, we're building a bigger table while we can. Why? So that there's always room at the table for people who don't know Jesus to come and have a seat and be welcomed so that they can grow in their faith and know who Jesus is. That's our hope. And in week one, we talked about some parables in Luke chapter 15, the parable of the lost sheep and the shepherd and the parable of the lost coin and the woman. We talked about how people are worth searching for. They're worth going out and finding and that they're worth sacrificing for and that they're worth standing up for. It's worth living our lives in a way that we can reach people. There are thousands of people all over Shelby County, Alabama, all over the world who need to know Jesus, that are lost, and they're, they're waiting on someone to come and find them. And that's our hope at Cultivate Church, that we would be willing and able to go and compel and search and find. And we, we know that week two, we talked about the prodigal's table, and there are many people who, have, who are, are wasting their lives. Come on, we've all been there at some point in our lives. What are we here for? What am I doing just walking through life? day in and day out, working jobs, getting up early, going all day, coming home at night, going to sleep only just to get up and do it all over again, not really serving a purpose. And we talked about that final uh, parable in Luke 15, the, prodigal's, the prodigal son, the, the son that wasted his life. And we know that the father was ready and waiting on his return. And we know this, that there's prodigals all over Shelby County, all over our spheres of influence, who are going to return, and we're building a bigger table to make room for many prodigals. And then last week, we talked about instructions for construction. We talked about the first two weeks were our why. Last week was really our how. How are we going to do this? And then today, I want to talk to you about our what. Our what. Today, the title of our message is Table Materials. Table Materials. What are we building this table with? I've learned this over the years, that material really matters. The quality of what something is built on, it makes 
a difference. I was doing some research this week, and I found some of the biggest flops in the history of our country. In 1956, Ford come out with a, with a car they called the Edsel. Ford Edsel. It was named after the son of, uh, of Henry Ford, and this was going to be a major breakthrough in technology, a major breakthrough in the vehicle industry. They spent at least $350 million in 1956 rolling out this campaign and trying to promote this new vehicle. It had what they called a teletouch push-button transmission, unheard of. It was going to be top of the line, new everything, except, unfortunately, the new, fe- the, the new features were unreliable. They didn't work. They were poor quality. Ford tried to roll this out over the next couple of years, realized that it was worthless. It wasn't working. Nobody wanted it. It was, it was, it was a poor quality vehicle, and they lost millions of dollars over this venture, over this attempt to produce something of poor quality and and sell it off. In 2011, Hewlett-Packard introduced what they called the touchpad. This was their attempt to compete with Apple's iPad and powerful video capability, impressive uh, processing, all of this stuff. They spent millions and millions of dollars rolling this out in an attempt, except it was poor quality. It was nowhere close to the quality of the Apple iPad, and it said almost. They say almost as quick as they rolled it out, they debunked it. They took it away. They quit making it. They took. They wrote off eight hundred and eighty-five million dollars in assets and an additional seven hundred and fifty-five million dollars that it cost to wind down the OS that they had created to work with this product. And get this. Hewlett-Packard has struggled to overcome that since that product. It completely changed the landscape of one of the largest companies in the world. One product of poor quality made that big of a difference in their company. Many of you remember in 1986, NASA's shuttle, the Challenger, they took off, and within minutes of takeoff, it exploded, and it was a massive tragedy. People died, lost their lives, and when they did all of the research, it all boiled down. What happened? Well, it was a hardware failure. A solid rocket booster failed, and there was one O-ring cited as the immediate mechanical issue. A poor quality O-ring, a little piece of rubber. Can you imagine? This entire millions and millions of dollars, hours spent planning this, going into the the mathematics that it took to equate all of the different angles and things that it was going to take to get this shuttle into the atmosphere, through the atmosphere. And one poor quality O-ring made all the difference in life or death. Quality matters. We could share thousands of instances where quality made the difference. You probably know many of your own stories, things that you've purchased over the years or things that you've built or things that you've done that were of good quality or bad quality. And you can honestly say without reservation that quality matters. The old adage, you get what you pay for. It really does make a difference. Today we're going to discuss the the quality of what we're building with. Here's the question. Is God getting our best, or is He getting the rest? So let's pray, and then let's dive in. Father, we love you. Man, we're grateful for your word. 
We're grateful that it's alive and breathing and for us. And Father, I pray that you would do what only you can do through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would open our hearts and our minds, that we would be willing and able to receive from your word today. That it would be life-changing, life-altering, that you would use us, shape us, and mold us. God, to live our lives on purpose in a way that honors you. That you would get all of the glory and all of the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's three things that I want to share with you that are foundational. Before we get into the full aspect of our message today, there are three foundational things that we have to grasp as it relates to quality of how we live our lives. The truth about materials. You ready? Number one, if you're taking notes, you need to know that God owns it. God owns it. David understood this in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11. Here's what he said. They were building the temple. They were preparing to build the first temple. Up until this point, they had been really homeless in, uh, in, in their worship. They had worshiped in tents, and the tent was moved around, and they were a mobile uh, outfit, and, and they were beginning and preparing to build a, a, permanent, a permanent foundation, a permanent place to worship God. And this is what he began to realize. He said this in 29 verse 11 in 1 Chronicles. He said, Yours, O Lord, is greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in heaven and on earth is yours. O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. You see, most people live their lives pursuing stuff and status and sustainability thinking really everything is accomplished by them. We forget in living our lives that God owns everything. Come on, He owns the air we breathe, the space that we're taking up right now, the abilities that we have, our creativity, our finances, our stuff. Everything is owned by God. David understood this. He recognized that all of the wealth and abundance of the Israelites were from God. It belonged to him. Before God, Israel was nothing. Out of all of that blessing, they built a temple to worship him. Here's what Psalm 24 and 1 says. It says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and everything in it. It all belongs to the Lord, the world, and all who live in it. David understood that everything belonged to God. God owns it. That's the first foundational truth that we have to realize when we're talking about quality of our lives. What are we building with? Number two is you need to know that God gives it. He owns it and it's his to give away. He continued in 1 Chronicles 29. He says, wealth and honor come from you alone. No one else. God, it comes from you alone. For you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand. And at your discretion, people are made great and given strength. Oh, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we could give you anything? We could give anything to you. Everything we have has come from you. And we give you only what you first gave us. See, God owns it. And it's His to give. He gives everything. Contrary to what culture has taught us, we don't earn our stuff. God, in His goodness, gives it to us. It comes from God alone. 
When my daughter was four, I bought her a pack of M&M's. M&M's, if you know Isabella, that's her favorite candy. And I remember giving her that pack of M&M's when she was four, and she was eating the M&M's, and I asked her for an M&M. And she said, no, she refused to give me M&M's. What she didn't realize was I purchased the M&M's. I gave her the M&M's, and I had the ability to purchase a thousand more M&M's for her. But in her selfishness, she had forgotten, right? She had completely lost focus of the supplier of the M&M's. And many of us have lost that same focus in our lives. We are so busy building and gaining and getting and going and doing that we forget that it's God who gives everything. It's not who are we that we could give anything to Him. Anything we would give is something He has already given us to begin with. You see, God owns it and God gives it. Humanity can't point to anything at all ever that God didn't supply. Did you know that? There's no good thing in our lives that God did not supply for us, sometimes in spite of us. So here's the question. Do I recognize that all I have is everything God has given me? God owns it. God gives it. And here's the third principle, the foundational principle as we learn what we're building with, the quality of what we're building with, is it's we manage it. You see, it's his, it's his, it's his, he owns it, it's his to give away, it's ours to manage it. And I recognize in 1 Chronicles 29, David understood that. He said this in verse 17, I know, my God, that you examine our hearts and you rejoice when you find integrity there. What's he saying? God, you, enjoy, you rejoice when we do the right thing, when we manage your gifts well. You know I have done all of this with good motives, and I have watched your people offer their gifts, check this, willingly and joyously. They managed it well. God owned it, God gave it, and he saw, he, was, he, he, he examined hearts and he rejoiced because they, he found integrity and character in their hearts to manage the resource well. There's a story in Matthew chapter 25. It's called the, the parable of the talents or the parable of the three servants. The story says that Jesus said that there was a master who had three servants and he was going off on a long trip and he left with his three servants talents. He gave one five talents, one two talents, and one one talent. And you need to know, we think of talents as something small. A talent represented roughly about 20 years wages. This was a lot of money that they were entrusted with. Even the person with one talent was entrusted with a substantial amount of resource. And the story says that the, that, that the one with the five took his and invested it, managed it well, and doubled. The one with the two talents invested it, managed it well, and it doubled. And it says the person with the one talent was fearful that he was going to lose it. He was worried about it, and so he buried it. And really, this is a story of faithful and unfaithful servants. The faithful servants took their talents and put them to work for their Lord. 
And then you have the unfaithful servant who hid his talent in the earth. He didn't do it out of bad motive, right? He wasted his opportunity. He buried the opportunity. He didn't do it. He wasn't purposefully trying to be evil. He was trying to not lose uh, what had been entrusted to him, but that's not what was supposed to happen. He had entrusted him a resource to manage well. Not to hoard, not to hide, not to keep, not to, not to live in fearfulness. He told him to manage it well. And it says when the master returned a long, a long time later that he found the three servants and how they had managed their resource. And the one with five, he had doubled his resource. And man, he was excited and he blessed him even more. And the one with two, he had doubled that resource and he blessed him even more. And when he found out that the other had squandered his opportunity, that he wasn't managing the resource at all. No, no, no. He hid it away and didn't manage it and put it to work at all. He said, you could have at least put it in a bank where it would have been invested into more opportunities and gained interest, but you didn't even do that. You squandered the opportunity. And the Bible says that he told them to take what I had given him, take the one talent away, disperse it with the others, because he's, he's a worthless servant. See, it's ours to manage. Here's what I know. The Lord has entrusted us all with a measure of resource. Some more than others, right? But he has the same expectation of all of us that we would manage it well. You see, there's no excuse whether we have a, an equivalent of one talent in our lives. There's many of us tuning in going, but Brandon, you don't understand. I don't have a lot of resource. I don't know how I would man. What are you talking about managing it well? I'm just trying to survive, right? We see some of us have less. Some of us have more. That's clear in Scripture. God gives us differing resources, but he has the same expectation for all of us that we would manage it well. That means that every dollar that I would spend or that I would give ought to have an eternal purpose attached to it. So here's the question. Am I managing my resources like they belong to God? Were they a gift from Him? Does He, does he examine your heart, my heart, and does He find integrity there? So those are the three principles that we have to build on. So now let's move into top quality. If, I, if, 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 if my life, what I'm building with, the materials that I'm bringing to the project, the materials that I'm bringing as we build a bigger table, if they're going to be top quality, number one, you need to know, it's got to be my first. The first, it's got to be my first. Our first matters. Let me show it to you. In Genesis chapter 4, it says, in the, in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of fruit from the ground to the Lord. There's these two brothers, Cain and Abel. One's a farmer, one's, a, uh, one's, one's in agriculture, one's in livestock. And it says, Cain, in agriculture, he brought an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. Wow, check that out. Listen to that. He respected one. They both brought an offering. But let's, let's break it down real quick. Cain, read it again. And, the, and it came to the process of time that Cain brought an offering. He brought an offering. What's another way to say that? He gave what he wanted when he wanted. That's what Cain did. He gave what he wanted when he wanted, and God didn't respect it. But Abel brought the firstborn of his flock. You see, the order matters. First matters. I remember when uh, I was a, a, a kid in our 
church had gotten sick. Hunter and Katie Lawley's daughter, she had been sick and was in the hospital. And I remember going to visit them in the hospital for the first time. And I met Katie's mom for the very first time we'd never met before. I walked into the hospital room and, and she said, are you the preacher? I said, well, yes, ma'am, that's me. And she said, well, I'm Katie's mom. I need to ask you a question. Are they tithers? <laughs> I remember that I'll never forget. The first thing she would ask was, are they tithers? And I said, well, yeah, I think so, I guess. And she said, well, I'm not going to live under a curse. My family's not going to live under a curse. She understood the reality of first matters. And that's funny, but it's true. What I give first matters. Why does it matter that I return the first 10% to God? Remember, God owns it. It's His to give. I can't give what I don't own. I'm returning the first 10% back to God. Why does that matter? Here's why. Write this down. Because it takes faith to give the first. It always takes faith to give the first. Here's an example. Say that I'm paid $1,000. Maybe this is my paycheck. I've done, work. I've, done a, I've done a job. Somebody's paying me, and they give me $100 bills to $1,000. Which one of those $100 bills? The tithe is $100, right? Which one of those goes to God? Which one of those is the tithe? Well, the question is the first one that leaves my hand. What does that mean? Well, it means this. If I say I get paid, and I go home, and, and this is how I lay it all out. Well, I pay my mortgage, and then I pay my utilities, and and then I'm going to pay, I'm going to, you know, budget out for lunch in the month. And, and I pay everything. And then I get to the end and go, man, I don't quite have $100 to give back to God. You see, it's the first that matters. So for all of us, if I'm going to, if the quality is going to be there, if it's going to be top quality, the first matters. I get paid the first 10% goes to God. See, why is that? Because the first redeems the rest. You may not have ever paid attention to this, but did you know that Jesus was God's tithe? It was his first. He gave his first to redeem the rest. Jesus purchased, his, his sacrifice purchased, it redeemed our salvation. The first uh, born in the Old Testament, every firstborn child or animal was to be given or dedicated to the Lord to redeem the rest. I know this, that God can do more with 90% than I could ever do with 100%. Danielle and I started tithing when we first got married. We didn't grow up in uh, strong tithing families or believing families, strong uh, Christian homes. And uh, we began, we made a decision early on that we were going to be tithers. It was a difficult decision. Many of you know this. I made $100 a week when we got married. She was working a minimum wage job when we got married. We didn't have money. We had love. That's all we had. We didn't have any money. And it was a hard decision for us to tithe knowing all of the other commitments that we had. But we made a commitment. We decided that we were going to tithe. It was a lot of conversations about how that didn't make sense on paper. But the Lord has taught us through this seasons that we can never outgive God. So now here we are 15 years later. I get paid once a month, and on the first of every month, my family, we give automated. We tithe through automated giving. And I know on the first of every month, the first, our first, is always going to God first. We give that to the local church. And we give above and beyond that in other areas to missionaries and things. But the 10%, we're returning that back to God because you can't outgive God. He's always been faithful to his word. When we give God our first, he redeems the rest. That's true in every principle of life. It's the principle of first. It matters. When I give God the first time in my mornings, he'll redeem the day. When I give him the first day of the week, you know what? He'll redeem the rest of my week. God redeems the rest 
off of my obedience to give the first. So here's the question. Does God get my first? My time, my resources, my calendar, etc. Does he get my first or does he get the rest? It's a principle. Give God your first and he'll redeem the rest. Number two, if you're taking notes, the quality of what we're building, it's, it's, it gets my first. And then number two, he gets my best. He gets my best. He goes on to talk about it in 1 Chronicles 29. Moreover, David says, because I have set my affection on the house of God, I have given to the house of my God over and above. You want to write those down, those two words, over and above. He said, I've given over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house, my own special treasure of gold and silver. We've already said it. The tithe belongs to God. I can't give what I don't own. I can't give it if I don't own it. I'm returning it back to him. And here's what that means, that my best begins at 11%. My best begins at 11%. The tithe is a test of my faith to God. My best is a test of my love for his mission. You see, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would have everlasting life. We're on a mission, church. We have a goal. What's our goal? What's our mission? That we could show anyone, as many people as possible, a way to the Father through his son Jesus. And my best is is a test of my love for God's mission for us, that the world would know who Jesus is and we could live our lives in a way that that would always be be the case. It's supposed to be. Malachi teaches us that when we tithe, he opens up the windows of heaven and he pours out more than we can contain. That's our best, over and above. It's supposed to be more than we can contain. He intends it for the overflow to resource the local church to reach the nations with the gospel. God intended for the tithe to bring blessing more than enough into our lives so that we could be an overflow to the nations. We've seen that happen over and over and over, time and time again as a church. We sent missionaries out in 2018, Ethan and Lindsay Efferson. And you know what? We just knew that they were called. We didn't have resource. We didn't know how to make it happen. But we knew that God calls some to go and he calls some to resource. And there are many of us in this season of our lives that we recognize and we have to look at and say that God has blessed us abundantly over and above, more than enough. Come on, Even in a pandemic season, we see that God has blessed many of us over and above. We began to uh, grow this ministry and reach out and love people. And we know that, that over and above makes all of the difference. And God has supplied every need this ministry has ever needed because of the faithfulness of people giving their best. It's beyond. It starts at 11%. God gets my best. Is he getting my best or is he getting the rest? And here's what you need to know. Number three, when I give him my first and I give him my best, he always builds my faith. Always. I love this in 1 Chronicles 29 and 28. This is the legacy of David. It says, he died at a ripe old age, having enjoyed long life, wealth, and honor. Then his son Solomon ruled in his place. Come on, his legacy, a testament to the faithfulness of God. He was extravagantly generous to the house of God. He never lacked. He always had honor. He died a ripe old age. 
God's word was true in his life. David gave God his first, he gave God his best, and God blessed his life just like he promised. Here's what the New Testament says about it. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but those who plant generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your own heart what to give. And don't give reluctantly or in, or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Come on, that's the faithfulness of God. He uses our generosity to touch the nations and build our faith. We can never outgive God. Here we are in a season, 2020, in a pandemic. As a church, can I tell you, as a pastor, this has been one of the most stretching, difficult years ever. Come on, we were, we, we're in the process. We knew that we were moving into this process as a church, and we were going to be expanding and growing and building a bigger table, and then the pandemic hits, and we can't even have church all over the world, not just here. Can I tell you, it breeds fear into people's hearts. God, are you going to supply? Are you going to sustain? How are we going to do this? And can I tell you, here we sit almost at the end of 2020, and our church is in a better financial position than we've ever even been as a church. And that can only mean that God's word is true. He rebuked, the Malachi says it this way, that I will rebuke the devourer off of you. It says it in Malachi chapter 3, verse 11, that your crops will be abundant. I will guard them from pestilence. I will guard them from insects and from disease. And your grapes will not fall from the vine until they're ripe. Here we are in the end of 2020, and we have witnessed the hand of God protecting His church. It's true. Listen, when you begin to walk in faithfulness and obedience to God, you'll see Him bless your life more than you ever dreamed or imagined. I want to pray for you right where you are. Would you just bow your heads wherever you are, wherever you're tuning in or listening? Maybe you're here today, and, and your life has been lived in such a way that you don't even know. Like, I haven't, I haven't lived my life in faithfulness to God. Maybe you've made decisions on your own all your life. Maybe 2020 has been a, 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 a very bright reality that I need Jesus. I want to invite you into a relationship with Him right where you are. Ultimately, the favor of God. You remember, we talked about it earlier. God's tithe, His Son Jesus made all the difference to redeem us. He says he loved you more than you could ever dream or imagine, so much so that he sent his only son to live a perfect, sinless life, to die on a cross so that we could have eternity with the Father. That's why we're building a bigger table. That's why all of this matters, because eternity matters. So right where you are, you would say, Father, forgive me of my sins. I'm sorry that I've lived my life my own way. I confess today that I need a Savior. So Jesus, I believe that you came and lived a sinless life, died on a cross, came back to life three days later, redeeming me, purchasing my salvation. And today I accept that salvation. And from this point forward, I commit to follow you as my Lord. I'm going to live my life on purpose in a way that honors you. Jesus, you're going to get my first. You're going to get my best. I'm going to live a life that matters from this day forward. Thank you, Father, for salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.